Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Movie Geeks United, just in time for Valentine's Day. We're covering the Blu-ray releases from December 2022. But these are titles, aptly enough, that you will fall in love with. <laughs> I knew you were going somewhere with that, my friend. And uh, now I know where you were ultimately headed. Yeah. There you go. Uh, I bought I bought some last night. You know, I haven't, hey. I haven't purchased any in a little while because I just I purchased yep. too many in too brief a period of time. I was like, you know, I don't have the money for this, but I went to Best Buy and went crazy again because I wanted to get the the Steel Book of Cloverfield, and then there was a Steel Book of Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter. Oh yeah, I saw that. I didn't get a review copy, but and I then did they, see it was out there. And then they had the Blu-ray box set of all the Paranormal Activity movies, so I ended up buying that. Mm-hmm. And then I saw Ed Wood that has a bunch of commentaries on it. It has a commentary on it that I've never heard before. And and that was only 10 bucks, so I was like, I might as well get that, too. Jeez, stop me. Somebody. <laughs> uh, I, don't have, uh, I don't have Ed Wood uh, on Blu-ray. I have the old uh, Disney DVD, but that's, uh, that's all I have. So I, I could stand for an upgrade on that one. I watched some of the Paranormal Activities last night. Yeah, I have that. That's that's pretty good transfers on those. I mean, insofar as you can do with uh, it being shot on video. And video is a little more primitive when they made those films than it is today. So, uh... Well, the main reason why I wanted to see it was, of course, because of that original documentary on the making of the franchise. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty standard, but... Yeah, still pretty uh, comprehensive. Uh, but but I liked it okay. And plus it's yep. just amazing that $15,000 and it grosses $200 million. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's quite a success story. And yet, you know, it's a double-edged sword because it's not like that was necessarily a career maker for any of them. I mean, I that's guess right. Featherston got – she got – other roles in other paranormal movies and other movies probably that didn't get wide distribution, but and Orrin Pelly produced some stuff was on, you know, even if on by name only on the other paranormal activities. And he directed a couple more things. I think, I don't know when you break through with such a niche thing, it tends to define you and nobody really wants to explore other avenues with you. That's right. That's true. You're kind of pigeonholed. They're obviously very good. I mean, they have to sell the reality of that. And honestly, I, especially the first three, I like all three of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think they're really well done. And I didn't realize the third one was the highest grossing. I didn't either. No. I, I should know that, but I did not. Or maybe I knew it and just forgot it. Yeah. Did you see the uh, the new one that was uh, went straight to Paramount Plus? Mm-mm. It's on there. It's in that box too. I haven't gotten around to it either. I think this was the first time, uh, first time that's ever been available on physical media. But well, they I, were smart for a time with those movies. Just in terms of their production, uh, mirroring the production of the first. I mean, they didn't, they didn't necessarily try to. To, to, to redefine the secret recipe. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just, you know, in a studio setting, 
they they made a movie uh like the first paranormal activity that they were totally uh unacquainted with i mean they they don't know how to make movies like that but they gave it an effort and those yeah you know the second and third one paid off i think they're really good yeah a little bit of world building will will do you good well i mean not just that just like you know, we're going to shoot this cheap. We're not going to ha- have a script. We're going to have an outline that we can change frequently. That we, you mm-hmm. know, we're going to improvise this thing. It's we're not going to go for you know a massive amount of visual effects and all that stuff. I mean, the typical studio approach to a movie like that you see in that documentary because when they when that movie first started making the rounds and Paramount picked it up, they just wanted to remake it mm-hmm. with a name cast and a larger budget. And then they found out, oh, no, this movie as it is, this little $15,000 movie that could, it actually is. It's Im- impacting people. People are scared out of their wits by this thing. Why Why are we going to remake it? Let's just release this. Uh, yep. Yeah. Proved to be a good strategy. Yeah. Yeah, they, they did. Uh, that was one of those times when they uh, when they got it right. That's kind of the like- kind of shit that the hard genre is really... You know, if you can break out with that kind of massive success, a lot of times it happens in the horror genre. It does. It really does. It's funny because that uh, one of the titles, newer titles we're going to talk about on this uh, when we go through these releases uh, is Smile. And, you know, that was supposed to go straight to Paramount Plus, and they decided to put that out in theaters instead. And, boy, <laughs> were they ever glad they did because that that made quite a profit. It was a similar situation. Yeah. Even this uh, Megan movie that just came out that I know mm-hmm. nothing about. Right. Right. You know, right. Big grosses. Yeah. Horror movies can really pay off, especially in that first weekend. Yeah. But uh, even some of the ones I think like barbarian, it didn't do as well as smile, but it did, it did fairly well. I think it was like a $2 million budget and it grossed like 40 or something. I think uh, mm. so it's some, something in that ballpark. So yeah, those are those are the big success stories that we're seeing post pandemic. I think the horror genres is where it's at in terms of uh, like uh, return on your investment there. Yeah. So uh, Avatar keeps on keeping on. Looks like looks like it's it's gonna uh, set new records like the last two Cameron films. It's the sixth highest grossing movie worldwide now. And it has a chance to be the fifth, mm-hmm. which means that James Cameron will have three of the top five all-time worldwide grocers in history to his yeah. credit. It's amazing. You know, he's got the smile to himself when he uh, when he sits and thinks about that. That's quite quite an achievement. Yeah. So you know, it should be painfully obvious from decades, but uh, never bet against him. And I say that as someone who has zero interest in seeing the new Avatar. <laughs> well, I saw it, and I think we've already discussed that. We've been down that road. But, um, you know, I know a lot of people love it. Uh, I certainly didn't hate it. But uh, it is not something I have any desire to return to ever again. So once was definitely enough. Yeah. But, you know, but um, God bless him, as the saying goes. I'm glad that he's able to get butts and seats in theaters. I mean, anytime that, you know, we can get people to theaters, uh, you know, because they've been struggling, it's, it's, it's always good. You know, I'm always in favor of that. I think it'll end up a, a, a little bit above two, bi- 2 billion worldwide. Yeah. And then they'll 
you know, they'll do the re-releases and stuff, which will raise it even more. Oh, sure. Yep. They're, yeah, there's another ti- Titanic yeah. re-release coming down the pike yeah. for, for Valentine's. And, and, uh, which, that's, after, the number, that's the number three highest grossing worldwide, I think. Yeah, yeah. Behind Avengers Endgame and mm-hmm. the first Avatar. Well, yeah, it uh, Titanic uh, is actually one of the upcoming 4K titles that is going to make the leap to 4K after its theatrical re-release, along with True... Well, I, I don't know that True Lies has been announced, but The Abyss has been officially announced. So that those two Cameron titles are coming to 4K in a couple of months. Yeah, that that that's as it should be. I mean, yep. they, 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 his work needs to be represented in that format, and I guess it's the holdup has been he's been in production so long he can't approve the transfers. That is correct. Yeah, that that is that's what the word on the street says. So I don't know about True Lies. Uh, there is a uh, a 4K master of it that's being. Uh, I think you can see it on HBO Max, I believe, but uh, I don't know if that's the same master that he was going to approve for the actual physical release. I, I don't know, but it is a there is a, a 4K version of it out, high def version out there. Uh, also, Strange Days, which is another Lightstorm production, you know, his production company, he he was uh, involved in that as well. That's available on HBO Max as well. But there's been some controversy about that because. I think it was shot in Super 35, and I believe the intended aspect ratio was 2.35 to 1, and they're running it at 1.85 to 1 on HBO Max. So there's a little little quibble with some people I've been seeing uh, online. It's more like and, HBO minimum. Yeah, <laughs> true. I saw that in the theater, and I have not seen it since. Yeah, but I too. did. I heartily enjoyed it when I saw it uh, way you back har- when. You hardly or heartily? Heartily. Okay. I'm, I'm mumbling over my words. <laughs> no, that's yeah. fine. I just want to make sure. Yeah, I <laughs> still I still think of that joke that Amy Poehler told in the Golden Globes, uh-huh. where she was talking about the um, the controversies over the torture scenes in Zero Dark Thirty, and she said, "I don't know about you, but when it comes to torture, I trust the ex-wife of James Cameron." <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. Yep, that was definitely a good one. Yeah, that's. Yeah, he's. Uh, I've heard that when he's not in production on a film, he's the nicest guy. And I heard this from somebody that knows him personally, um, somebody who was a college classmate of uh, Linda Hamilton that I'm friendly with, and she was she's been to their home or had been to their home when they were married and had witnessed him. And she said he's just the nicest guy. He, he's so giving and um she witnessed him doing many kind things except when he's on a movie set she said when he's on a movie set forget about it <laughs> well i mean yeah i mean he sets the bar so high yeah he's serious uh, it, it's you know he's he is just it's business all the time so. i mean the degrees of difficulty he sets for himself seem insurmountable yeah that's true so but i i would imagine with age he's mellowed a lot as we all have so he's probably not as much of a hothead as his past reputation dictates, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll see if uh, oh, in Lightstorm, yeah, his uh, the other film that they're that they're uh, saying may get a release soon is Solaris because he was uh, produced uh, behind the production. Uh, I think he was a producer on that as well. The um, George Clooney Solaris, 
Steven Soderbergh. So yeah, 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 which I like. Yeah, I do too. I do too. So there, they may. There's, there's rumblings that that might get a 4K issue. As Isn't well. that a Cameron Soderbergh commentary? I want to say that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I remember listening to that years ago. You know. And yeah. You know the other interesting recent news is the 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 report. Who did this? Was it Kim Newman that wrote that report about Megalopolis, Francis Ford Coppola's new movie, being in, in disarray? I think so. Yeah, yeah. They, they're saying he fired the uh, special effects team, and then I'm hearing maybe that's not the case. There's all kinds of he said, she said going and on with that. It's over budget and behind, and they've stopped right. shooting and all this kind of stuff. Yes. And they're just, you know, they're wanting to pile on this Coppola disaster. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. well, that's good news. If it's a disaster, maybe we'll get another Apocalypse Now or Godfather. I mean, that doesn't sound <laughs> right. too bad. And meanwhile, <laughs> Coppola's saying, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> We've shot yep. everything we're scheduled to shoot so far. Yeah, yeah, I terminated those people, but it was early on. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to get the most for the for my money, for the money that belongs to me that I am spending on my own movie. That, yeah, right. Let me make it how the fuck I want. I don't have to answer to anybody. You know. He's earned that right, for sure. Yeah, I, I'm excited about it. I, you know, I never, I didn't think we would ever, that it was something that would ever come to fruition, you know, because I just didn't feel like anybody was going to, to give him that money. And then when he decided to do it himself, I thought, well, I guess we may see this movie after all. Yeah, so I was, good for him. Good for yeah, him. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. You know, I was talking and, about, uh, uh, he's just a director of integrity. He's serious, always been. Yeah. He's always been. He's always put his own money and his own reputation up to, to, to realize the visions that he had, whether they worked out ultimately or not. That's true. I mean, you got to respect that. Outside I the do. fact that he's one of the great great American narrative filmmakers, mm-hmm. just storytellers, just, just keeping the classic story structure alive. Um, you know, I was talking about the I, – I really don't like that movie Blonde, but I love Andrew Dominic's uh, – uh, insights into its its appeal or lack of appeal mm-hmm. because he says you know i'm not a i'm not a baby kissing politician my movie's not running for office if it's not your if it's not your bag that's fine yeah you know, as opposed to trying to placate every sector of audience around a conference table you know, I just that's to be respected, even though I pretty much despise the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I still haven't seen it yet, uh, based on what you told me. And you and I are pretty simpatico on many things. And so I just I, I kind of shied away from it. I, I do want to see it, though. And, and I also want to read the book. I'm, I've been hearing uh, I was yeah. listening to the Brett Easton Ellis podcast. He was talking about that he read the book. The uh, Joyce Carol Oates Blonde, and he said that book was phenomenal. And now I want to read the book too because he was just raving about that. Same thing with Damien Chazelle's uh, uh, what he came out with earlier this week about Babylon. No, the movie's not for everybody. It's not intended to be. Yeah. And and speaking of Joyce Carol Oates, I you know she came out and started criticizing Spielberg and the Fablemans, and uh, I just think that's. I've always thought that was just bad form. Yeah, it is. And it makes me think less of her. Yeah, I don't like that. I mean, yeah, if you're in if you're in personal conversation and but she's tweeting it out like 
to all of her fan base, and then it gets picked up by all the entertainment news gossips. And oh, she's she's, she's battling down the hammer on Spielberg, and and then it's just stupid writing. If you don't like the Fablemans, if you think it's a weak, mediocre Spielberg, that's fine. But sometimes I read criticism, and I think, did they even think about this? Like Armand White's review of the Fablemans, which, the way he writes, I know people like him all of a sudden, but the way he writes is, uh, I can never understand it. Mm-hmm. And I'm a reasonably intelligent person, but I, I I get it like at the beginning, and then as it goes on and on, I'm like, what is what is his argument? And it's always it's always political, always political based. But his one of his big problems with, with the Fablemans was this is the maker of Schindler's List, and he doesn't portray any any um, discrimination or anti-Semitism until he reaches high school, late in the movie. Uh, and he thought that that was a fault. Like Spielberg kind of cowered from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, MFR, read any interview with Spielberg. He talks about how when he lived in Arizona, he had no concept of anti-Semitism. It wasn't until he went to high school in California that he got his first taste of it. Yep, that's right. And the movie is autobiographical. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yep, that's that's uh, uh, that's the way I understood it to be all along that he didn't he was, you know, in his teen years before he realized, you know, because he was, you know, I think he was more focused on his movie hobby than what was going on in any other area of his life until he didn't have a choice. I think when he got to high school at that point, it was kind of hit him smack dab in the face, so to speak. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I re- did rewatch Duel a couple of nights ago. Mm-hmm. I wanted to rewatch Close Encounters because it's been many years since I've seen that, but I would have had to pay for it, and I wasn't about to do that. Oh, <laughs> well, I, they just had. They I just got ran enough that. streaming shit that I pay for every month. <laughs> if it doesn't have Close Encounters, I'll wait. <laughs> well, they just ran that at the Academy Museum uh, out in Hollywood. Uh, Duel or Close Encounters? Uh, Close Encounters, just a couple of days ago. Yeah, Yeah, they're running something. Shit, they're running a 35mm print of something that I'm really excited about. I totally forgot what it is. Uh, It's running this month. And I'm like, oh, God, I wish I was there. And tickets are only $5. Yeah, those those screenings that they have at the Academy Museum. And our uh, guest, Ray Morton, who's come on several times, he's been out there to several of these, and he says it's just the projection is phenomenal. Like the, the sound and projection is just amazing. And so um, I would wow. take his word for it. Yeah. I So they did Tron last summer. I barely missed that when I was going out to Los Angeles back in August. I think I missed it by a week. And I thought, boy, that would have been that would have been pretty nice. And Cool Hand Luke, they had the last surviving cast member there on hand to do a Q&A. Uh, and they had a 35-millimeter print of that as well. So, you know, there's some good stuff going on over at the Academy Museum. If you're if you're in the area, I would always check their calendar. Yeah, and I'm trying to find their calendar right now so I could find what that movie is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I, think I got it. Uh... Let's see. Night moves. That's it. 
Night moves. That's it. You, you January twenty first. You, you knew exactly what I was. Yep, I know you. Over. I yeah. know you. I'm the same way. I would love to see that there. Damn, thirty five millimeter oh print god. of that. Wow. Jeez. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, speaking of theaters, I was in New York City last week, and there's this Broadway theater. I forget what it's called now. Roundabout, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and and Nathan Lane's in a play in that house now and so our friend Rick was like that I went there with was like oh Nathan Lane let's go see what that is and so we walk up there and it's the old studio 54 oh wow and it's so tiny it's like this was the hottest club in the history of the world (laughs) (laughs) and we're trying to imagine the throngs of people that were waiting in the street to get in there yeah that's the old Studio 54 building. That's incredible to Con- hear. I mean, converted but, to a theater, yeah. You know, I've noticed that that happens a lot. You know, places that you you know, have seen, you know, um, you know, in the media, so to speak. You know, growing up, part of our culture or whatever, and you get this uh, this idea of what it looks like, and you get there, and it's really nothing at all like what you yeah. your mind imagine really i mean it was uh, you know it transcended the build the, the space it was really the, sure, the, yeah. the, the uh, uh the moment in time that was larger than life you know when mm-hmm. it tapped into but uh yeah it looks to- totally kind of unassuming sitting there in the middle of whatever street it was 47th or whatever it was right yeah and yet if those walls could talk <laughs> what oh, stories would they tell <laughs> oh god I made a joke. I made a joke, and I was like, "Man, you could still smell the amyl nitrate." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, for anybody who missed your post, uh, you know, we can. Uh, this is tied to movies. Uh, you saw the real, uh, the, the actual place where the murder that looking for Mister Goodbar. Uh, yeah. Was, interesting. Uh, yeah. So that's movie related. Yeah, we were on. I forget what street it is, but we're Seventy uh, Second Street, West Seventy Second mm-hmm. Street. So there were two stops to make there. So I I didn't tell Rick where we we're going because he hates his death stuff. So we're standing in front of a department building when the taxi cab drops us off, and I said, "This is where Roseanne Quinn was murdered by the man she picked up across at the bar right across the street." And Roseanne Quinn is the basis of looking for Mister Goodbar, the 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 novel and the. Uh, the film and and uh, I explained the whole thing to Rick and then we walked across the street from the apartment and the bar right there across the street and it's it's a little creepy because in New York there's kind of underground uh, foundations for a lot of the buildings apartment buildings you know sometimes you walk downstairs if you live on the first floor and that's your you know beneath beneath sidewalk level is your apartment it's the mm-hmm. same thing with this bar. And so I said, you want a drink? So we just walked in there and sat in the bar, and and R- Roseanne Quinn met that guy um, at the end of that bar. That's where she was sitting, apparently. Mm. Uh, and then we walked further down the street, two blocks, and that's where the Dakota is, where they shot Rosemary's Baby and they shot John Lennon. Um, and the Dakota is right there, right across from the entrance of Central Park, I think. Um, yeah. So yeah, there, right. I mean, there are things to be seen. The, the, the difference with New York City and L.A. and I prefer L.A. because L.A. is a driving city. 
you know, you want to get around and there's no shortage of movie related places to see in LA, you got to take a car and that's fine. Cause I love driving in LA, New York city. I can't imagine driving in New York city. Oh yeah. And you, and you do need a car to get to those different places. I can't take taxi cabs every single destination, you know, so I bankrupt you. So I felt limited in my yeah. sightseeing. And then we went to the Ghostbusters library, which is the main branch of the New York public library where the first, you know, beginning of Ghostbusters was shot. Mm-hmm. Rick loved that. Cause he's a huge fan of Ghostbusters. And he was like, we pulled up the first scene of Ghostbusters on our phone and watched it. And it's a, it's a crane down from the top of the library, and then it p- pulls down behind a tree, and you see the big lion statues. And it's on the and the lion statue that's highlighted most in the entrance of the library is on the right side. And so we stood there, and and Rick was like, uh, "Can you take a picture of me standing next to the lion?" I said, "Yeah, go up there and go go up there and touch it." And he was like, "I'm embarrassed." I said, "Dude." There's ten. There's ten thousand people walking the street. Nobody cares. <laughs> they, they all caught their own crap that they're dealing with. Just go up there and touch it. So I took a photo right. of him posing near the Ghostbusters lion statue. <laughs> oh, that's great. Now you got me thinking. You back to uh, you were talking about the Roseanne Quinn, uh, you know, murder and all that. Um, that happened. Did not happened new year's eve 1972 so that would have been right and i think it was like maybe new year's day 73 so i'm thinking you might have been right on the 50th anniversary of that or pretty close i was just thinking uh yeah it was a couple of days after she was found right yeah because she she was murdered new year's day 73 73 wow you were almost right on it yeah that's when they picked that's when she went there new year's day the evening that's right that's what it was and he picked her up and and they went back to her place Uh but she wasn't discovered for i think two or three days and it wasn't reported to the media for another couple of days Mm -hmm. sure yeah well so you were you were celebrating not celebrating but uh commemorating the 50th anniversary of her passing in the real spot where it happened that's or just yeah. by just missing it by a couple of days rather so it's that's yeah something and it's interesting because i mean it plays it plays a role in my the book that i'm writing about that's krista helm mm-hmm. an interesting sidebar of the uh, the single woman in new york city in the 1970s it was not a comforting space for Mm-mm. the single woman no you know and in the in the aftermath of the good bar murder uh, which it wasn't known as Good Bar until, but you know, the I think it was called Looking for Mister. Wasn't Good Bar the name of the bar that she used in the book, a fictionalized name of the bar? Yeah, seems like it. I read that novel years ago, but it's been probably at least a good twenty years since I read. Otherwise, the actual... I mean, the candy the candy bar has nothing to do with Roseanne Quinn. Oh, but not at all. Her name was kept out of the movie and the novel. And, of course, yeah. Um, but. Uh, I was reading articles in the aftermath of her murder, and um, and they really shined a spotlight on on the plight of the single woman in New York City, mm-hmm. and these women standing right outside the bar uh, were saying, uh, "Yeah, I keep a baseball bat by my bed," and they were telling stories of men that flashed them on their way to the, uh, uh, while they were walking to their apartment, and how, I mean, it was just the city was just a, a gritty mess back in the day. 
in the 70s. Yeah. And it's hard to visualize that when you look around today there. Yeah, it's so it's a lot cleaner, shall we say, than it. But there again, it lost its character a lot as well. That's part of part of what made New York New York, I think, is yeah. has also been scrubbed away in the process, which is kind of sad. Yeah, you won't you don't you don't recognize taxi driver in the New York no, of today, which no. is interesting because I did I checked out a there's a video of you know back then and today film locations for taxi driver on YouTube and I looked at it almost every single building uh unrecognizable the taxi uh cab company the garage and all that kind of stuff doesn't exist anymore it's a city street mm -hmm. where that cab garage used to be yeah i mean it's all gone that's amazing man one of my favorite shots in taxi driver it encompasses two of my favorite movies in the same film it's one which taxi driver is one of my favorite movies and Travis Bickle's riding his cab, and it's on. It's you know you, you see what he's passing. The camera's on the side of the cab, mm -hmm. and he's passing a movie theater with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre on the marquee. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's great. I would say that's the movie that'll give you a sense of New York City in the seventies. Not that I was there and know of it, but I would mm -hmm. imagine that that's probably the most you know tactile example of 70s new york on film maybe not oh yeah yeah i was watching the out of towners again uh, last summer and uh, there's all this garbage in the streets and <laughs> yeah stuff, i mean the, uh, the the city was going broke right, so they yeah. cut it they cut a lot of their social services including their sanitation and their police force uh, oh yeah and so all that shit about garbage in the street and lack of police and all this shit it was it was real back then yeah yeah people were setting fires to their apartment buildings and 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 and, and, and businesses that they owned just so they could get the insurance money yeah that's that's something to that's something to think about i'll tell you it's yeah though like i said people who grew up there they will tell you that when all that went away and they, uh, you know, things were quote unquote made better that some of the character went away as well. So that's, I don't know. I guess there's a uh, different ways to look at it, you know, but, um, yeah, but yeah, but it was also, uh, it's interesting. I mean, New York at that time is a major character in my book and it, mm -hmm. it was interesting that the, the, the strobing disco lights and nightlife of the elites and the rich and the limos and the, the suede dance shoes and all that kind of shit was side by side with the the grittiest alley rats in the city. I mean, they were they were rubbing shoulders, so there was a tremendous sense of possibility, but also real danger mm -hmm. there. It was it all fed off the same adrenaline, I guess. That's what made the '70s such a unique time. <laughs> that, among many other things, just one one more example. Yep. Uh, never to never to come again. And everything, you know, everything seismic that reverberates through the culture, you know, a lot of it emanated from New York City at that time. Oh, sure, yeah. Whether it be the Stonewall riots or the the women's movement or all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. You know, in the 60s, a woman couldn't enter a bar by herself. She had to be accompanied by her, by a man. Yeah. And so you think just a couple of years later, you know, Roseanne Quinn goes into a bar by herself as a single woman. <laughs> so you can understand how they equated that whole murder with this permissiveness oh, yeah. is what led to this. You know, the women's live and all this kind of stuff. That's that's the end result. That's that's one that's one of the political takes on that whole story. Oh, yeah. It's easy for them to wag their finger and say, I told you so. It's not the fact that there's these fucking sickos walking around that yeah. stab a woman 18 times because they can't get it up. It's got to be the woman's fault. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the way of the world, unfortunately? Yeah. Well, this has been yeah. an entertaining conversation for the people that have tuned into our Blu-ray <laughs> discussion. Well, when uh, now that you're talking about the, the women getting blamed, that's a good jumping-off point. Oh, uh, good. For Blaming women, women being victimized. She said? Uh, is that coming out? <laughs> well, uh, not this month, but uh, I do have, uh, and we'll jump into the Blu-rays, December 6th, we had... Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. How about that? That's a jumping-off point from your discussion. Um, from Warner Archive. Yes, uh, this was... Uh, this stars Yvette Vickers. Mm-hmm. Uh, co-stars Yvette Vickers. Now, you remember, I'm sure, the Yvette Vickers story that's, that uh, Scott Michaels has told several times about oh, how yeah. she literally melted to the floor. Uh, her body was in the apartment so long ago. Right, yeah, out in L.A. I think it was in a house, actually. She was out there, and yeah, yeah. the neighbors had been... Um, Scott actually you know, went to that apartment. He did, and he picked up a few mementos <laughs> from the <laughs> He did. He copped to it. Oh, my goodness. Well, anyway, attacking the 50-foot woman. This runs a, a brief 66 minutes, and the special effects are, you know, they're pretty bad. But the movie, it, it is funny. Uh, intentionally so. In a lot, it has a good sense of humor about itself, and even though the budgetary limitations are on display, it's uh, it's not as bad. I'd never seen it before until the uh, Warner Archive Blu-ray came out, and it wasn't nearly as bad as I expected it to be. Uh, I actually kind of enjoyed it. I laughed quite a bit, and um, it was kind of fun. Yeah. And so, um, it actually retains a commentary. With Yvette Vickers really? and film historian Tom Weaver. Yeah, this was for the DVD release. Wow. So it's Attack of the 55. And it looks great. I'm telling you, those Warner Archive uh, motion, the Warner Motion Picture Imaging team that does these transfers, I mean, they just do fantastic work. This was spotless. It really wow. was. And this was um, originally an Allied Artist production. You know, it was one of the low-rent studios from the 50s. But anyway, uh, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, you can't say it's a great film, but it's it's kind of fun. And it's basically about a woman who's victimized. Her husband's cheating on her, and she comes in contact with some aliens who radiate her, and she goes to 50-foot proportions. And so, uh, you know, there you go. But uh, I wanted to start off with that one. Well, that's we exciting having- that it. Has a vet vicar's commentary on it. It does. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No hint that she was uh, that she was a, a, a would become a recluse later on. Which kind of a sidebar here. I was reading an an article. You know, recently we lost Irene Cara. Yeah. And I was reading an article about her from the New York Post about what a uh, how 
uh, a re- reclusive she was. Yeah, same and, thing with Christy Alley. I read the same thing. Oh yeah, that was just fascinating. And to they me. both, uh, I think they both lived here in Florida, where I am. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's um, what is that that town, Lander or something? I think. Mm. Yeah. Well, I know Christy yeah. was outside of St. Pete because she was getting yeah treatment at the Tampa Cancer Center here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah that. Uh, there's still no calls. Which of death that makes on sense. That makes sense too, because that's close to Travolta, where Travolta yeah, that's lives. True. Yeah, because it's that's Scientology true. land around St. Pete Clearwater area. Mm-hmm. I was like, I went yeah. through there one time. I mean, I live 45 minutes away from Clearwater, so I've been there many times. When I was driving in the nooks and crannies of Clearwater years ago, and saw the big Scientology buildings and everything, and saw all these people riding bikes, and I was like, are these like Jehovah's Witnesses? And because they were wearing, the, they had the white shirts and the black ties, and and mm-hmm. my friend was like, no, no, those are those are door to door Scientologists. <laughs> you know, they go around trying to sell Dianetics. Oh, uh, well, it's a living, I guess, for some people. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, for them. Oh my. Well, anyway, the other Warner Archive title is. Um, Night of the Iguana, that's uh, based on the Tennessee Williams play, and that's uh, directed by John Huston from 1964. This stars, um, we have Ava Gardner, Richard Burton, Deborah Carr, Sue Lyon. Right, Produced by right. Ray, Ray Stark. Yeah. Sue Lyon, yeah, that's right. Yeah, not long after Lolita, just a couple of years later, and uh, this features... Uh, a, uh, has featurette, Night of the Iguana, Houston's Gamble, and On the Trail of the Iguana. So two featurettes, theatrical trailers. Uh, again, splendid transfers from the Warner Archive, Warner Motion Picture Imaging Team, I meant to say. Um, so, yeah, uh, Night of the Iguana is another Warner Archive release. Uh, we will get into two of the horror films directed by Bob Clark, who, of course, we all know from A Christmas Story, who died tragically in a, a car crash in 2007, I believe it was. But he got his start with horror films, and two of them made the 4K leap on December 6th. One of them was uh, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, which is actually credited to Benjamin Clark in the uh, in the credits, but it's really Bob Clark. Um, it's a theater troupe who try, who go down to, uh, make a movie and resurrect some zombies. They cast a spell and jokingly, I guess you would say, but then the, the, uh, dead bodies actually come back to life and kill everybody. So, uh, it's a really long climb to get to the guts of the movie, quote, uh, no pun intended, uh, there's a lot of talk for an hour and 10 minutes. There's really nothing but endless chatter and then finally the zombies start reanimating uh, and this is only a 90 minute film so seven, it takes 70 minutes to get to that point uh, i didn't care for much for it when i saw it as a teenager but the, this new 4k transfer is about as good as you're going to get in terms of the picture it's it's always had problems on video and it, it looks as good as it's going to but it still doesn't improve the quality of the film unfortunately i'm not really uh didn't didn't enjoy it anymore this time, but I will say this: it is worth picking up because there's some terrific extras here. We have a 90-minute video documentary called "Dreaming of Death: Bob Clark's Horror Films," and we have a 2022 Alan Ormsby, who is the uh, 
the uh, the writer and star here. Um, he does a commentary uh, and a new 2022 fan Q&A video. Uh, you have Confessions of a Grave Digger, which is an interview with one of the actors. Uh, Memories of Bob Clark is another tribute to the late director here. And there's a music video, a couple of music videos and radio spots. And so it's really a, a nice set. Uh, unfortunately, the main feature film is not something I can recommend, but I can definitely recommend the uh, the extras. Yeah, I don't know how uh, quality of the movie content aside, I don't know how g- good you can make those movies look. That's true. I'm intrigued by the two 4K releases coming up for Texas Chainsaw because I'm wondering, mm-hmm. you know, uh, if it's a noticeable upgrade from the Blu-ray imagery. Um, but. Uh, yeah, children shouldn't play with dead things. That's a great drive-in movie title, though. You sure gotta, is. You gotta admit. Oh yeah, I just wish the film were better. The subsequent horror films he made, the one we're getting ready to talk about, and Death Dream is another Bob Clark horror film which I do like. Uh, those are much better. But you gotta start somewhere. This was his first, and um, you know, hey, he was just uh, he was he was figuring out what he was doing. So we'll cut him some slack, but. Anyway, um, like I said, film itself not so great in terms of quality, but the transfer. What, what is the company that came out with that? And that's uh, VCI. Yeah, I'm glad you reminded me. I was going to mention VCI. that. VCI, not no. to be confused <laughs> with VCR. <laughs> well, we'll go ahead and take care of some other um, titles that are Arrow. I think Arrow and VCR get the same distributor, so we'll go ahead and knock out several of these. We got. Nightmare at Noon. Hang on, hang on, man. You said two from Bob Clark. We haven't mentioned Black Christmas yet. Oh, that's right. Yes, we did. That's right. Sorry. I was going to carry get into that later. But yeah, we'll go ahead and... That's right. Yeah, we said two from Bob which Clark. Is, which is so, probably my my favorite 4K release in December. Oh, nice. Well, Love yeah, it. I didn't... I did not get a review copy of this. Black Christmas. Yeah, I'm glad we you kept me on track. Uh, I got a 4K issue from Scream Factory. I... Had requested a review copy and did not get one. I guess they ran out. But um, I heard that the big news, other than well, the transfer I heard is terrific, and I heard the other big news on this, and you can maybe uh, clarify this, is that it actually retains the old Warner Brothers logo at the beginning of the film, which I don't think had been on any of the other releases. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I did watch it. I didn't. I didn't notice that, and I'm sure it looks as it looks as good or better than it ever has. Mm-hmm. But I just, I freaking love that movie. I think it's, I, I think it's one of the best horror films of the past fifty years, yep. and uh, n- not the least reason of which is because it, it just established so much that that other horror movies have cannibalized in the decades since. Mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of set up that whole structure that that we know so well from horror movies. And it's an incredibly effective. And uh, I just, I kind of marvel at Bob Clark, a filmmaker I have really given very little thought to over the years. And that, you know, he makes one of the groundbreaking, most effective horror movies of the early 70s with Black Christmas. Yep. He, def- he defines the pinnacle of teenage sex comedy with Porky's. And then he makes a holiday classic for all times with a Christmas story. Who the hell has that level of diversity in their career. <laughs> it's true. It's pretty amazing. It really is. He definitely left his mark. And um, good for him. You know, he... he um, and like I said, I'm also a fan of Death Dream, which I hope will get a 4K release pretty soon. 
And, the, and then he made uh, loose cannons, and he was like, well, what the hell? Why don't I just end it? <laughs> 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 totally. Totally. I'm sorry. That was in bad taste. Oh, man. Yeah. He was uh, he was an interesting filmmaker for sure. There's that's a resume that uh, we could all be envious of. I think so. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, I think you picked up uh, this next. I will go ahead and mention this one while uh, uh, well, it's a Paramount title, a uh, Pulp Fiction. Got a 4K right. issue. I think you picked that one up. I uh, transfer pretty good on this. I would say. Um, Still haven't put it. I haven't put that one in or Reservoir Dogs. The 4Ks of those. There are a couple that I haven't watched yet. I got the Mad Max box set. I haven't put in any of those yet. Yeah. I mean, the Blu-ray was pretty good. Uh, that I think that was Merrimax put that out years ago, probably 10, 12 years ago. And now Disney, I mean, not Disney, Paramount has the uh, the distribution rights on the Miramax catalog. So they issued this. And there's no new extras here. It's all the other stuff from the old Miramax Blu-ray that's been ported over. But it's a good... Uh, a, a good batch of extras, I'll say that. There's a lot of good stuff here, and lots of you know featurettes and documentaries and all this stuff, just tons of stuff. And um, the uh, the transfer does offer us a, a slight uptick, I would say. It's I don't think it's a major major uh, like night and day improvement, but it's it's definitely worth picking up. The um, there's definitely uh, a, a noticeable um, you know, in terms of the sharpness and all that in the picture, so it's it's uh yeah, it's mm. it's it's good. I would recommend it. So totally unrelated, but did you hear the news about Julian Sands? No. Mm-mm. Uh, there's a hiker that went missing in California, and they're trying uh-huh. to search for him through severe weather right now, and it's Julian Sands. Really, the actor? Yeah. The warlock. Yeah. Hmm. Boxing Helena. That's right, Boxing Helena. Yeah. Gosh, well, I hope I hope that's not as dire as it sounds. It doesn't sound good. Uh, so another Paramount release, Better Off Dead, John Cusack. Not a 4K, just a Blu-ray. Oh. I think this was previously issued by Fox Home Video, I think, on Blu-ray, but it's been out of print for a while. So anyway, just um, you know, I don't think there's anything new in the way of extras. Don't wow. know, don't even know if it's a new transfer, but. The John Cusack. Uh, Do a 4K of that. Load it up with extras. I've never even seen Better Off Dead, but I know that it is a uh, audience favorite, cult favorite. Oh, I the, love it. The I people love that it. cannot get enough of that movie. I can't either. I, <laughs> I love it. I even interviewed one of the stars of it for a 30th anniversary show or something. I still hadn't seen it. <laughs> you still, yeah, well, you talked to the director. Oh, uh, that's right. That's right. You, you talked to, uh, what's his name, Savage Steve Holland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did. What's and the other oh, Cusack movie that he made? Did he make a second one? Yeah, one one uh, crazy summer. Right. Okay. Yeah. Which yeah. I also love. I love both of those films. Wow. Big big soft spot for me. I think they just totally deliver. It was I like guess. I have no idea why John Cusack won't talk to me. Something happened. I know there's something weird going on there. I've heard him say that in other interviews too. There's something. Uh, I think he was on uh, the projection booth. I think that's what it was. Uh, I think Mike did a show on Better Off Dead, and he interviewed him, and he said the same thing. So, yeah, there's something weird, something a little off there about that situation. But anyway, Better Off Dead, great, great comedy, I think. Uh, never fails to put a smile on my face. And, um, you know, getting a Blu-ray issue from Paramount, or a reissue, as it were, 
Clerks 3, which I did not see, but uh, Lionsgate putting out Clerks 3 in 4K and Blu-ray for uh, the 2022 release. Uh, also, Paramount releasing 48 Hours and another 48 Hours yeah. in a 4K double set, a double feature, and they're also putting them out separately. So if you want to get them separately or you just like 48 Hours and you don't give a, a hoot about the sequel, well... You can just uh, get the original, or you can get the two-pack and get them both. So you have options. You could offer uh, 48 hours for $20, and then you could offer the double 4K of 48 hours and another 48 hours for $15. I still just get the first one. Very <laughs> <laughs> good. Even though I'm then paying five extra dollars just for one, maybe. <laughs> Well, uh, Adaptation, getting a 4K uh, upgrade from Shout Factory. I don't know that there or I didn't get a review copy, so I'm not sure about the extras. I don't think there's there maybe a few new extras here. But anyway, Adaptation with Nicolas Cage, Meryl Streep. Chris Cooper won an Oscar for this one, uh, written by Charlie Kaufman. You know, it's a pretty big hit in its day of 2002. Uh, we have the Shaw Scope, Volume 2. Blu-ray set from Arrow. This is uh, they they've been doing one of these a year at this point. This new set, which includes um, oh I don't know, I think maybe close to a dozen films from the Shaw Brothers Library. Thirty-six Chamber of Shaolin, Return of the Thirty-six Chamber, Disciples of the Thirty-six Chamber, Mad Monkey, Kung Fu, Five Super Fighters, Invincible Shaolin, Kid with the Golden Arm, Magnificent Ruffins, Ruffians, sorry, Ten Tigers of Kwang Tung. My Young Auntie, Mercenaries from Hong Kong, The Boxer's Oven, and Martial Arts of Shaolin, and The Barefooted Kid also includes um, CDs of the scores from some of these films, uh, and tons of extras, all kinds of featurettes, documentaries, commentaries, uh, stunning video on a lot of these presentations from what I'm getting with the reviews I'm seeing. Uh, I haven't really gotten around to it yet. It was just too much. I did get a review copy, thank goodness, but I do want to check them out more in depth. But uh, anyway, the Shaw Scope Volume 2 set that covers films from the years 1978 to 1993. The Leech is a 2022 release from Arrow about a priest uh, struggling to get into his house at Christmas time uh, who uh, welcomes a struggling couple into his house at Christmas time. And uh, the uh, sanctity of his home is jeopardized in this horror film from last year, The Leech. And this includes um, some, a few extras, commentaries, featurettes, all that sort of thing. Nightmare at Noon from 1988 is a Arrow release as well. A scientist poisons the water supply of a small town, turning the residents into homicidal maniacs who kill each other. And anybody who passes through, you've got Wings Hauser, Bo Hopkins, George Kennedy... Brian James. That's a nice cast there. Uh, I haven't seen this one either, but, um, you know, some extras on this as well. So uh, commentaries, featurettes, et cetera, and so on. Oh, so. I need to see that George Kennedy movie, Zigzag. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware of it. 1970. Yeah, that was uh, when you were covering your. Yeah, I even reached out to the director, and he said, sure, I'll do it. And I just never got around to uh-huh. covering that month. But um, it was great to, it, to, to see George Kennedy do a movie that wasn't part of the air, airport franchise. 
Oh yeah, yeah. At that time, right. like the one constant, yeah, because every single one of those airport trailers for every one of the movies always always went through each each and every cast member in the trailer. The only constant was and George Kennedy. Yep. And you expected George Kennedy by the fourth one to be like, "Yep, still here." <laughs> <laughs> I know. I always hoped they would do a one and the two in the. Uh, I said about maybe fifteen years ago they should do another one. And uh, have bring him back when he's still alive, obviously, and they yeah. could have a, a running gag about how he's trying to retire and he never can get out of there or something. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me of years ago when SNL did their 40th anniversary or whatever anniversary primetime special it was, and they did their in memoriam segment, and they showed a picture of John Lovitz in the in memoriam segment, and then it cut to John Lovitz in the audience, like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, um. We have the Michael Haneke trilogy as a Criterion oh, release. Man, Seventh that's a, Continent. That's a barrel of laughs right there. All right. Isn't it, though? Yeah. Benny's video, 71 Fragments of a Chronology of Chance and Seventh Continent with, oh, deleted scenes, documentaries, interviews from 2005, new transfers. So Criterion release of those that trilogy of films from Michael Haneke. You know a box set I want that just came out yet the other day? What's that? I want the Kino Missing in Action box set. Yeah, that's right. It did just come out. The sure three, did. three Missing in Action movies. Yep. Damn it. I want that. I want to hear those commentaries. <laughs> I bet they're good. That would be my guess. Mm-hmm. I'm just well, $45. I, I don't want to part with it right now for Missing in Action. <laughs> Well, the latest film from David O. Russell, which came and went in about a week's time, uh, that's coming out from Disney and Buena Vista. It was a 20th Century Fox release, uh, a 20th Century, uh, a 20th Century, I should say, not Fox anymore. Uh, their subsidiary since they bought them out, and this uh, was a pretty big bomb when it came out last fall. I didn't get around to seeing it, but. Anyway, it's uh, set in the 30s, follows three friends who witness a murder, and you got Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Chris Rock, and you know, Taylor Swift. De what an amazing cast. Yeah, yeah De Niro, yeah. Yeah, so Amsterdam, yes. Yeah. Yeah, didn't, didn't get around to it, but anyway, it's out there. Well, and, you know. Yeah, go on. I'm glad they're still making movies by... A tour filmmakers. Yeah, for the time being. I don't know how much longer that's going to last. But uh, you got to be smart about um, what you choose to spend $100 million on, or whatever the hell the budget might have been on Amsterdam. I don't think it was a low-budget affair. Because it's all about if it's all about recouping costs, I mean, you need, you need to make it a responsible budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, Babylon, you know, I don't know. So that makes two bombs that Margot Robbie's been in this year. Right. Yeah. Which if the movies are worthwhile, you know, why would I give a shit if the studio loses money? I mean, you know. True. Well, I liked uh, Babylon. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I admit it ran out of steam towards the end, but there's so much going on in that film. And it's the kind of thing I'm going to return to it because there's so much you can't catch it all the first time. It's just such a busy, busy film. I really enjoyed it. But I know I'm in the minority, so 
a lot of my uh, contemporaries did not like it. So uh, I don't know. Maybe I was just in an extremely good mood when I saw it. But anyway, <laughs> well, we'll move along to December 13th. We will get these done, I promise. Silent Night, Deadly Night, 3, 4, and 5. Did you get this one? Got the that. Collectors. Yeah, okay. Blu-ray set. Got that, just so I could hear the commentaries. Don't give oh, a yeah. crap about the movies. <laughs> well, they are out there. And um, we also had The Ballad of the Sad Cafe. This is a Cohen Media release uh, directed by Simon Callow and starring Vanessa Redgrave, Keith Carradine, Rod Steiger, and based on a Carson McCullers novella. It's a black comedy uh, set in a poverty-stricken rural community dominated by the curious androgynous character of Miss Amelia. I haven't seen this one, but um, it's an Ismail Merchant production, so maybe that gives you an indication of what kind of film it was. The Ballad of Sad Cafe, 1988 Cohen Media release. Uh, we have Carrie in 4K, for, uh, you know, Brian De Palma's classic. Mm-hmm. Made the 4K leap. That was a Scream Factory release. Uh, I didn't get a review copy of this one either, but I hear good things about the transfer. It's good. I got that. The um, you know, it does. It is shot somewhat soft. I mean, the look of it is, is, is soft. Mm-hmm. Like there's a that's right. Like there's a panty or something over the lens or something. So it uh, you know, it's hard to discern. You know, oh God, the the crackling detail and all this kind of stuff it looks it carry looks as it should uh and the i listened to the commentary by uh, by our friend joe eisenberg who wrote the book the making of carrie studies yeah. in horror genre um horror film um and it's a very good informed commentary conversational he did a good job so yeah i recommend it the extras, I, I watched a couple thing, things in the extras, and then I realized, you know, I, I, I know pretty much all about Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to sit through this stuff. The movie, good, itself, the movie itself is worth having. That's true. Yeah. Those extras are good. A lot of those carried over from 2000, the 2002 DVD or something, I believe. And those are really, really good. Those were done by Laurent Bootsero. I quite right. enjoyed those. So, um, yeah, good stuff. So we have, uh, while we're on the subject of um, Shout and Scream Factory, we had Coraline came out in 4K, as well as Paranorman. And those are uh, two of the the films from um, the Leica Studios. There was a preview, previously been issued on Blu-ray from um, uh, Shout Factory, but like I said, they're getting a 4K upgrade in the Steelbook Limited Editions. A nice... Uh, attractive uh, packaging i would say and they all the previous issued previously issued extras have been retained so we'll say that uh highlander has been issued in 4k i believe that's Lionsgate, the 1986 russell mulcahy director's cut of this uh from like i said 1986 4k uh, Highlander um, didn't get a review copy of this, but I hear pretty good things about the transfer. Uh, and we were talking earlier about Smile, the film, the horror film that was a smash sensation last fall on a very small budget. And uh, that came out in 4K and Blu-ray from Paramount. Uh, I must say I enjoyed this. Hmm. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. Um, and I'm usually let down by a lot of the horror films these days, but... 
I thought it was uh, effectively done. Uh, it's not perfect, but it certainly held my attention. And there were a couple of moments when I actually jumped uh, and uh, genuine scares for me. So and that's not easily done because I'm pretty, pretty jaded about that sort of thing. So I enjoyed Smile. It's, um, you know, it's it's uh, I don't know. There's probably the least said the better about this because you don't want to spoil the surprises. Uh, but it does include the original terrifying original short film. It's billed as a terrifying original short film. That started it all. So uh, that's on here as well as commentary and um, a featurette, uh, deleted scenes, uh, you know, thing about the, the film score as well. So I would recommend A Smile uh, from last fall. A uh, couple of... Uh, I got a, a documentary here from Kino uh, about – this is a Kino Lorber release. This is not Blu-ray, just DVD, but it's a documentary worth mentioning. It's a new release, Worst to First, the True Story of Z100, the New York radio station, the legendary uh, radio station from um, uh, from um, in New York City. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you've got quite a few people who participated in this. you got Niall Rogers, Joan Jett, John Bon Jovi, Taylor Dane, Debbie Gibson, and I think Scott Shannon, who was one of the leading DJs on uh, the station. He's prominently featured here, here as well as Elvis Duran. So Clive Davis is in here, too. So, <laughs> so i got to tell first. you. Yeah. A Barry Manilow came through Florida this earlier this week. Uh-huh. I, didn't, I didn't go. It was the first Barry Manilow concert in 30-something years that when he came by, I, did, I didn't go see him. Oh. So um, so he was in Sunrise, Florida. I don't know where Sunrise mm-hmm. is, but I think, I guess it's down down south. But uh, and he, So I was watching a clip of the concert that somebody shot, and he said, I want to uh, – I have special people in the off- audience tonight. The man who started it all for me, Mr. Clive Davis, is here. And everybody started cheering. I was like, man, that's pretty cool. Clive Davis out in the audience seeing Barry and yeah. Sunrise. Because he's he's recorded a new album of original ballads, and I think he's trying to collaborate with Clive Davis on releasing it. Oh, nice. Um, and then he says, and one of the greatest actresses of all time is also here tonight. And I'm like, oh, my God, who could that possibly be? And Vandalus says, Miss Sharon Glass, stand-up Sharon. <laughs> 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 I was like... Cagney and Lacey sharing glass. Uh, I just thought it was funny. That is good. So Clive, Clive Davis really was there. It was. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh wow, that's 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 pretty big. Yeah, I mean, because they made each other. That's right. They did. Sure, sure. Yeah, he was just starting the label Arista at the time, and Barry was one of the first artists yeah. that he signed. It was yeah. Barry and Melissa Manchester were the first that's two correct. artists that, that he car- carried over from Bell Records. Yeah. That is true. Yeah, that's And then that's Clive amazing. Davis made Barry Menlo because Clive Davis is the one that said you should do Mandy. I mean, what's called Brandy at the time, but you should do this. That's song. right. You know. And yeah. he 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 was he was a master at choosing the hits for Barry. Barry had no idea mm-hmm. what what a hit would be. Yeah. He didn't even want to be a singer. You know, yeah. He wanted to be a songwriter and you know, just kind of happened. Yeah, that's uh that's amazing. Yeah, Clive wow. Davis is legendary. So I'm sure he was, you know, he's in talks with him about distributing his new album. So I'm sure he was mm-hmm. like, well, let me see what you're up to today. Went to a oh, show, well, you know. I will look forward to that. Uh, Barry is a, is a national treasure, as you and I right. both know. Fucking so, right. Absolutely. 
No I, argument. I make Rick laugh by doing my impression of a of a gangster Barry Manilow. Hi. <laughs> Hi, I'm Barry Manilow, and we're going to burn this motherfucker down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mandy. Come on, bitches. <laughs> Sing along, bitches. I still laugh when I think about how he uh, turned the lights out and he appeared at a different part of the stage when we saw him. And then the lights came on and those people were startled and he said, I scared the shit out of you, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That was funny. That was, that was a blast. And there's a story he tells about how he started and he started playing songs at a um, hospital mm-hmm. uh, for extremely sick patients and he'd play his music and he'd leave and he'd tell one of the one of the people on their hospital bed he said I hope you get better and the guy in the hospital bed said I hope you get better too so funny okay well Back to the Blu-rays. We'll move along. Uh, Silent Running has been issued by Arrow, the Bruce Dern film, starring film, directed by Doug Trumbull. Uh, Bruce Dern, of course, uh, taking care of the last of Earth's vegetation inside the the dome that's floating around in space. And And if, if if the future of humankind rests on the shoulders of one man... That's what you'd want, the mental stability of a Bruce Dern. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to Indeed. protect you. Now, have you seen yeah. this? How's the image quality on this? It's good. It's very good. Yeah, they did a good job with it. Okay. Yeah, the Blu-ray was, was good, and this is a nice little upgrade. Yeah, uh, no new extras, just the uh, the carryovers from the previous Arrow release. But, yeah, I, I would recommend Silent Running if you're a fan of it. And I am. I like Silent Running. It's a, it's a, it's a good good little sci-fi film. Yeah, A Walk to Remember has been issued from Shout Factory as part of the Shout Select line of titles for a 20th anniversary edition, collector's edition, of course, uh, starring Mandy Moore and Shane West. And this was kind of dismissed at the time of its release by a lot of critics. But I remember Roger Ebert liked it a lot. Yeah. And I thought I remember seeing it and thinking it was OK. It was fine. It wasn't it didn't deserve all the, the hate that it got from a lot of the major critics at the time. Adam Shankman directed and. Um, this has a new, uh, a look back at a walk to remember with the author, Nicholas Sparks, and it has commentary with the stars and director and, um, commentary also with the author and the screenwriter mm. and a cry music video by Mandy Moore. And it's, you know, it's typical of Nicholas Sparks, you know, who did the notebook and right. others like that. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's what's teen romance. One, what's the one that. Ebert really got behind. A lot of people got behind. I think it was a Richard Mulligan film. Was it Diane Lane and Reese Witherspoon? Uh, oh, oh, A Man in the Moon. Right. That's a great movie. I love that movie. I'm, I'm a big fan of that one. Every time I think about the walk, walk among the, oh, and 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 the Keanu Reeves is walk among walk in the clouds. Yeah, right. Walk in the clouds okay. and Walk on the Moon was the one with the uh, what's his name Tony Goldwyn or something. I think was in oh, okay. that or something. Yeah. Yeah, I like Man in the Moon. That was the last film for Robert Mulligan, actually. He was never directed another film after that. That's that's a really touching movie. Um, and then to, speaking of, of Tony Goldwyn, Traces of Red, <laughs> Cinemax staple of the 90s. Yeah. Tony Goldwyn and Jim Belushi <laughs> and Lorraine Bracco. Wasn't it Lorraine Bracco? I think it was. <laughs> this erotic thriller. I think it was. Minus indeed. the erotic. <laughs> 
Well, let's see. So uh, we so anyway, Walk to Remember being issued as part of the Shout Select line of titles, and we have the Creature from Black Lake, which was issued a couple of months in, ago in a limited edition Synapse Films issuing this, and uh, now they've uh, uh, when since the uh, limited edition sold out, they've got a just a general Blu-ray edition that retains all the extras that were on the others. Uh, this is a film that was shot in widescreen and was hard to find in its proper aspect ratio until they did this 4K restoration. It has audio commentary with the uh, filmmaker Michael Gingold and the film historian Chris uh, Poggiali. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. An all-new featurette with the director of photography, Dean Kundi, who was the who shot this film. Oh, no kidding. What year is it? 76. So this was uh, two years before Halloween. He was getting his cutting his teeth, as they say. And uh, the film is extremely well shot. It's very well composed. It's a you know it's a Bigfoot film that was uh, all the you know it was kind of in the culture at the time. And, uh, and ja- uh, you've got John David Carson and um, uh, who's the other guy? Dennis Fimple. Yeah, they go down to Louisiana looking for this. Uh, you know, down in the swamps, looking for this creature. They're college kids, and they want to find this creature, and they ask all the people in the town if they've seen it, yada, 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 and they finally find the creature during the last half hour of the film, and it, it's pretty intense at times. So I like uh, the creature from Black Lake. I was uh, great. I was really pleased to see this getting a Blu-ray release in its proper aspect Dean ratio. Dean really done some astonishing work. He really has. Um, yep. i tell you what. The commentaries that I've enjoyed immensely are the uh, the Scream Factory Halloween uh, movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the crew the crew commentaries on them, especially. Oh, I bet they are great. Really good, really good. I can imagine. Yep, I can certainly imagine. We'll have a uh, South Park during the. Uh, pandemic they were only able to finish two episodes and they made them one hour long specials and they called them the post the covid and the post covid special it's two one hour specials that ran on comedy central and those have been issued in blue on blu-ray from paramount just want to mention those and let's see uh moving right along cooley high was a film that um I was shocked to see that it had an, its own exhibit at the Academy Museum uh, because it's not that fondly remembered by a lot of people. But um, but nevertheless, it did. Uh, I like it. It's fine. It's kind of like, a, uh, I guess you would say, a, a black version of American Graffiti set in 1964, uh, directed by the always dependable Michael Schultz, who's made quite a few Good movies and certainly some interesting ones. Uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band is one of those that he directed, believe it or not. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's uh, like I said, it's a bunch of uh, it's a, a bunch of uh, high school grads in Chicago, 1964, trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives. Coming of age story, uh, and they tried to make this into a TV series, didn't quite work, so they retooled it and it became What's Happening. So it was the inspiration for the What's Happening. Sitcom in oh, the 70s. by the way, <clears throat> speaking of which, I forgot to mention when I talked about the bar that Roseanne mm-hmm. Quinn picked that guy up in. That bar was the inspiration for Cheers, the TV show. Really? Yeah. Huh. Who would have known? Don't ask me how. I mean, I, maybe <laughs> Burroughs went to that bar. I don't know. 
What do you know? I didn't get the Cheers vibe when I went in there. <laughs> yeah. And I, I know for sure Roseanne Quinn didn't. But, uh, oh, uh, no. Far from it. Um, so, Cooley High. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, outside of that non sequitur, Jamie, let's back to back to the, no, 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 no. the topic I, uh, at hand. I just thought I would uh, finish this before my train of thought leaves me as it is wont to do. Uh, there's a new conversation between Michael Schultz and the film scholar Raquel Gates. Program on the making of the film, panel discussion from the 2019 tribute to Cooley High at the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, uh, which featured uh, Schultz and a lot of other people. And uh, so anyway, Cooley High getting a Criterion release. And we have Fish in the Bathtub, which is a Cohen film release. 20th anniversary restoration it's being billed as, directed by Joan Micklin Silver, hmm. who uh, made a lot of cult favorites, films that became... Uh, did she also cult. do Chili Scenes of Winter? She did, Chili Scenes of Winter, and that's another yes. criterion? Uh, no, never did. It got a Twilight Time release, but it's out. Oh, no, it's coming out, in, it's coming out in Criterion. Oh, it, it is, that's so. right. I remember that now that you say that. Yes, yeah, that's true. Well, anyway, that's... Uh, Peter Bogdanovich is is quoted on the, uh, the on the uh, cover here, filled with humor, pathos, and surprises. Says Peter Bogdanovich, so he was a fan, I guess. And she also directed Hester Street. You know that was a uh, was an, I think Academy Award nominated for Carol. Um, what's her name? Uh, um, Kane. Carol Kane. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, Jerry Stiller, Ann Mara, Mark Ruffalo, Jane Adams, uh, in a Fish in the bathtub, and it's um it's about a real life husband and it's, uh, it has the real life husband and wife Jerry Stiller and Mara, couple who've been driving each other crazy for forty years, and uh, he is getting on her nerves and last nerve actually when he refuses to move the pet carp he's keeping in their bathroom, she leaves him and moves in with her son, and then hilarity ensues so to speak. So anyway. There you go. The fish, a fish in the bathtub. Joan Micklin Silver directing The Woman King, which has gotten a lot of awards love. Uh, that's getting a 4K and a Blu-ray release. When uh, did this narrative start of Angela Bassett being a front runner? Like I, uh, that's a good question. Was she uh, in the conversation? I didn't, don't even remember. Not initially, but I'm, she certainly I'm, is now. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of surprising. Surprising turn, yeah. For sure. Not, I mean, she's great, Angela Bassett, but you know, you have all oh, these yeah, pro- yeah. prognosticators talking months in advance about the front runners, and I've never seen that her mentioned. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is kind of surprising. I would agree. So we have uh, the Velvet Underground from 2021, which is a documentary mm. about the the Velvet Underground from Todd, Todd Haynes. Todd Haynes, and, yeah. Yeah, you know, getting a Criterion release. I didn't quite get with it. Yeah, I didn't get around to seeing it, so yeah. I love Tom Haynes, but I didn't quite vibe with it. And it was yeah. a subject matter that uh, that excited me, too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. I would have thought that I would uh, – ha- I, I still want to see it, just, just didn't get around to it. Um, Ticket to Paradise, the recent romantic comedy with George Clooney and Julia Roberts getting a, a Blu-ray release there. And yeah, the Hallelujah Trail. That. Oh, how was it? I heard not it's good things ex- about it. It's exactly what it promises to be. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's it's appealing comfort food. Good enough. Well, we have a couple of Kino releases. The Hallelujah Trail. That's a, a Western with Burt Lancaster, Lee Remick, Pamela Tiffin, and Jim 
Hutton, and that's got a new commentary directed by uh, John Sturges, who also did The Great Escape. Wow. And um, so, like I said, good good cast. Donald Pleasance also there, and uh, Brian Keith. And we also have Walk Proud, which is a subsidiary label of Kino. Scorpion Releasing is putting this out. It's directed by Robert Collins and starring Robbie Benson and Sarah Holcomb, Trinidad Silva. And it's about a young Chicano defying his fellow gang members by pursuing a relationship with a white high school girl. I guess uh, Robbie Benson is the Chicano in this film, <laughs> I would assume. That should be interesting. Walk Proud, 1979, is a, a Scorpion release. And we're moving along here just uh, down to the 20th of December. And we have... Let's see. Invader, actually, Invaders from Mars, the original 1953 version, has been given a 4K release, I think. Who did that? That is um, Ignite Films. Oh, I wouldn't mind seeing that. Yeah, this is the original 53. So, uh, And ladies and gentlemen, uh, The Fabulous Stains, directed by Lou Adler, has been given mm. a Blu-ray release uh, from Imprint. Lou Adler, still around. He sure is. Wow. Legend. Yeah, didn't direct too many films, but, you know. Well, two legend, of the awards. A legend in the music industry, for sure. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And he did direct Up in Smoke, so we'll give him credit for credit for that. And the monkeys and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, true. So two of the awards contenders have been issued on physical disc. Uh, Tar, Kate Blanchett. Of tar, 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 <laughs> Tar. Yeah, Tar. You know the. Um, I started watching earlier today. There's a. You know, the studios do different promotional things when they give for Academy consideration, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so Benji, uh, Bradley Cooper did a Zoom with uh, Nina Haas and Kate Blanchett and Todd Field about Tar, and, which was an interesting setup since Bradley Cooper just, you know, he finished shooting his Leonard Bernstein movie that comes out All right. this year. And they're both Can't about, wait. you know, conducting both movies. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was really interested in it, and it was a real nuts and bolts inside baseball directing choices kind of conversation that I liked mm -hmm. a lot. And it made me, it made me wish that I recognized the movie they were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling, my friend. I, I, I'm sure I've missed something with tar when I watched I, it. I'm sure I didn't quite, I wasn't quite there with it. Maybe that's all on me. I think I'm right there with you. Cause the brains are there. I, I, I recognize <laughs> that the, 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 the the depth of thinking and exploration is there, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, um, there's a lot of good stuff going on. I just didn't I, quite get what I wanted to get out of it. It might um, just be that I'm not I'm not the equal to it, or I wasn't at the time I watched mm -hmm. it. So I might give it another chance sometime down the line. Well, I thought it was funny because, again, listening to Brett Easton Ellis' podcast, he uh, didn't like it the first time, and he actually kind of goofed on it uh, in an earlier podcast, and then he... During award season, he got a screener for it, and he, uh, his other half was watching it, and he slipped in and started watching it again. He talked about how he completely came around on it in a totally different, you know, huh. just had a different take on it, and was just uh, blown away seeing it at home as opposed to a seeing seeing it in the theater. He had a different experience, and he really is a huge fan of it now. So, 
so yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I need to uh, give it another shot. So yeah. So anyway, The Banshees of Inishirin is the other film that everybody's talking about. Uh-huh. I'm saying Colin Farrell's got a good shot at the uh, best actor. I hope so. I like him enormously. I haven't seen The Banshees of Inishirin. Or the ban- or, or as I like to call it, the Banshees of Ed Sheeran. I think that's just, <laughs> it's just easier. But well, I sure I like Colin Farrell. I think he gets better and better. Yeah, I do too. I do too. And uh, he's good in this. He's very good. In fact, the whole cast in the film is good. Um, Martin McDonough, I, I, I'm a fan of his work, but he always has problems with the final act in all of his films, I think. And this one's no exception. I think that's where this film kind of uh, loses its... Uh, Mojo, because it's going in an interesting direction, and you're and you takes a while to get there, and you're thinking, oh boy, I can't wait to see where this is gonna go, and then it fades to black, <laughs> just when you get to that point. Mm. Like, well, I guess we'll never know. Uh, so it's 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 one of those films. But anyway, there is some good stuff there. Uh, a mixed bag. Uh, couldn't can't, can't say it's a complete home run, but but I liked it. Didn't didn't love it. Wanted to love it. Because I did love his last film, yeah. Three Billboards Over Ebbing, Missouri. I loved, and uh, so anyway, for War Games came out in 4K. I think you may have picked this one up. I didn't get a review copy yeah. of it. Uh, yeah, it's um, that's a Shout Factory release, and uh, the Taking of Pelham One, Two, Three got a 4K. Didn't issue. get that. Didn't get that Kino Lober title. I wanted no. to, but. Uh, uh, I'll probably get it eventually, but you know there are just there are only a few 4K discs that I have that I'm wowed by the image quality on it. Mm-hmm. There are only a few that feel like a revelation. Right, sure. Um, and so I, a lot of times happen. I buy in hopes older movies in hopes that they'll deliver that level, and they just don't. I mean, they still look fine. So I just, uh, you know, a lot of times I'll buy just because I want to see or listen to the commentaries or extras on it. Oh yeah, and that way I'm not disappointed. But War Games looks like it's always looked for me. I, I can couldn't really tell much of a difference. I enjoyed the Batam commentary that he does with the two screenwriters. I think that's what he does on it with the two screenwriters mm-hmm. of it. That's fine, you know. Um, and watching what? that and Cloak and Dagger 4K so close to each other, it's like, man, Dabney Coleman used to be a real f- presence. Yes, he was. That's very true. It's amazing how how times have changed. <laughs> he's still around though, thank you. He's good. He's good in war games. I mean, he's a very dependable presence, and he's he's good in cloak and dagger for what's asked of him. He's uh, yeah, you know, yeah. There was about a I don't know seven eight year stretch where he was turning up in a lot of stuff, and uh, he just kind of I don't know. He had a couple of TV series that didn't really take off, and then after that, he was kind of. Kind of fell out of the. Uh, you just didn't see him as much. Yeah. But he was in everything there for a while, like nine to five and on Golden Pond and just, you know tons of stuff. And the ones you're talking about, just, just you, you know. But like I said, still around. Thank goodness. Um. Anyway, so let's see. We're moving down to the last day of the month, December 27th. About to wrap this up. We have a couple, a pair of uh, Paul Newman films being issued by Kino. Uh, uh, we got Twilight, uh-huh. starring uh, Newman, Saran- Susan Sarandon, and Gene Hackman. Man, what a cast! Yeah, detective story. Want to like that uh, movie? Want to like that movie? And don't forget James Gardner. 
I was gonna say, yep, yep, James Garner. I want to like that movie. It yeah. feels like a, it feels like a solid adult movie. It just, it's mm-hmm. just not very engaging. Yeah. So you just you you watch it for the classic star power, you know. Yeah, yeah, it does have that, and um, there's new audio commentary on it as well by Elaine Silver and James Orsini. That's the only extra. Um, but the good news here is it's never had a proper widescreen release. It was uh, panned and scanned in its uh, previous Paramount release and finally getting the uh, proper transfer. So uh, new transfer there in Blu-ray only, not 4K, although there is a 4K issue of Nobody's Fool, the other Robert Benton. Robert Benton, of course, directed Twilight, and he also directed Nobody's Fool, uh, also starring Paul Newman. And that's um, that's Jessica Tandy in her final performance. I believe it was released posthumously. So... uh, that's kind of a, a laid back film about a Yeah, that's good. That's a pleasant you know, movie. That's a it's a good one, yeah, I like that. So anyway, uh that's got a new commentary as well. And uh, so anyway, Nobody's Fool and Twilight are getting uh uh new releases from Kino. Halloween Ends has gotten I a four K and a Blu ray release. I got that last night. I did, huh? I did uh you know, because I got the other Halloween on 4K, and I like I like the David Gordon Green, Jamie Lee Curtis commentary. I don't know if this one has the commentary on it. I would assume mm-hmm. it does. Halloween ends, but uh, I would assume. Yeah. I like the fact that Jamie Lee Curtis is cowering because she hates horror movies. <laughs> she's like, this <laughs> yeah. is so scary. She did this, did the same thing with John Carpenter, and Carpenter's like, chill out, man. You you were in this. This was 40 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny stuff. Well, speaking of horror films that, um, you know, made uh, a lot of money back on their budget, Terrifier 2, which was a wow. huge sensation back in October, uh, that's coming out on 4K as well, and Blu-ray. I'll uh, say both of those, uh, getting an issue on both of those formats. And The Laws of Gravity is another Kino release. This features an early performance by uh, Edie Falco. It's directed by, uh, written and directed by Nick Gomez. It's about a, a group of small-time Brook, Brooklyn hoods who live and die by different laws. And uh, Adam Treese, Peter Green, Edie Falco. Uh, it's pretty good. Was that released during the independent boom? It was 1992. MGM yeah. was it was originally an MGM release. I think Island Pictures actually. Sorry, Island Pictures, which was absorbed by MGM. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good of its type. It, it definitely has its moments. And um, so Laws of Gravity getting a release. And as a new audio commentary by the writer and director and uh, moderated by the historian filmmaker Daniel Creamer in the trailer. Uh-huh. And then we have a couple of uh, a couple of uh, films directed by Raphael Silver from Cohen Film Collection. One starring John Hurd and Tom Tom Waits on the mm. yard. Mm. And Kevin Anderson, Terry Kinney, and a walk on the moon. Oh, that's, that's funny. We were just mentioning that's Tom that. Waits. Is it? They're they sleeping on the yard. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> I think this is a different Tom. Maybe Thomas Waits. It says. Oh, the actor we had him on yeah, years Thomas ago. Waits, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a good cast. Is Mike Kellen and Richard Bright from the Godfather films? And uh-huh. uh, that's a and Lane Smith. Wow. And produced by Joe Micklin Silver. Oh. That's pretty interesting. On the Yard from 1978. It's uh, it's about a book, bookish con artist failing to adjust to the intricate social order of the prison system. And like I said, John Hurd starring in that. And uh, Walk on the Moon is the uh, same director. Uh, uh, it's a, um, you know, 
1987. Walk so anyway, on the Moon? Didn't you just yeah. mention that movie? Oh, man. It's on the moon a different Walk on the yeah, Moon okay. I think the one we were talking about. Man. Yeah. Walking so, in clouds and the moon and there's yeah. all, all kinds of walking going on. Indeed. None of them star Christopher Walken, which is all. No, no, not at all. Well, we have a, a collection of Rob Epstein and Jeffrey Freeze uh, from Kino. It's a two-disc set. Wanted to mention this one. It's uh, has Common Threads, which I, I think won an uh, I want to say it won an Academy Award for Best Documentary Film. It's about the um, the uh, the age crisis. And then we have uh, Where Are We? Our Trip Through America is a 1992 documentary, and Paragraph 175 is another one. So three of the documentary films from Rob Epstein and Jeffrey Friedman together. Probably the Common Thread is about the AIDS quilt. Yeah, that's the AIDS quilt. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was originally one of those HBO documentaries, and it got a theatrical yeah. release and then got an Oscar. Uh, has a commentary by the filmmakers, uh, Vito Russo's Act Up Demonstration from 1988. And it has um, a Then and Now, 1981 to 2004 documentary here. Uh, deleted scenes, additional interviews with Holocaust survivors on paragraph 175. So uh, anyway, uh, those 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 guys do some pretty good work, I think. So Rob Epstein and Jeffrey Friedman's collection, a two-disc set from Kino. And I believe that just about covers everything for the month of December that I was able to check out. I think that's pretty much it.